And we got David Rotundo. Speak up, David. How you doing? You are listening to Lee Oscar, and I'm David Rotundo here on Talking Blues with Mako Funasaka. First of all, um, I want to congratulate both of you on David's new album. It sounds fantastic. That's Lee's fault. <laughs> no. Lee and Brendan Bush. No, thank you, Marco. No, it's uh, it's just, it's David's, it's David's heart and soul. It's his work. Uh, producing is, it's not painting on behalf of David. Producing is capturing what David paints. So that's, uh, you know, I just, I just try to capture it as pristine as possible, the magic. That's what producing is. It's not getting in the way. It's it's kind of like standing back and let things happen. Just like Mark was a journalist, you know, he's not telling a story. He's but sonically or sonically, but that's part of preparation. It just sounds amazing, though. Like sound wise, it's just a really beautiful sounding album. Yeah, but definitely the, the sound. Yeah, thank you so for letting me cut into. The, I, I agree, Marco, because the sound. Uh, and the production of it again, uh, hats off, uh, and, and big bows to, to Lee Oscar and, uh, Brandon Bush, you know, and, and, you know, and we had uh, the, the fortunate, uh, ability to do it in a great studio in Seattle. So all of those elements with all the great musicians that played on it, it was, um, yeah, it was just, uh, a lot of things came together in a great way. So thank you, Mako. Can I ask how the project first started? How did this happen? Started, I believe, if uh, I, me, uh, I, I went to visit Lee, and I was I was hanging around uh, with Lee, uh, you know, in, in his uh, place in Seattle, and uh, probably started off by me um, rehearsing for him in the living room some of my ideas and songs and new songs, and 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 Lee, um, I think felt uh, felt he wanted to. Is that accurately that you know he, uh, he kind of resonated with Lee and and. He, well, I, I, I would, I, 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 my, the, from my perspective, it, uh, go back a little. We, we met and, uh, and we've, we've, we've spent different times. You've invited me and I've sat in with you at different gigs. You've got a great following. Uh, the people love you and it's been a great experience for me to have that, to, you know, be next to you and, 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 uh, get some of that energy, uh, man, from the audience. They just, they're just crazy about you. And, and, uh, and I love, and, and, and the thing about it is that as a songwriter, as a singer, and as a harmonica player, you really are master, even though not a fancy player where people say, man, this guy can play amazing. I mean, you may not, you may even sound to somebody, if they go from that point of view, that you're not that good. You know, you just you just play, but you're not good. But you are amazing. 
because the subtleties and the nuances and your tone and your expression is nothing about uh, technical skills. It's uh, there's technical step behind it. You you master tone. You mastered a lot of things, but it's so subtle to a lot of people they don't realize it, and it's beautiful. Your playing is beautiful. Your singing. I mean, you're not a well, you're not a Caruso. You know, it's not like you got a great voice, but you have a but you do have a no, you got to understand something. That people have great voices, but it doesn't mean that they ain't saying shit. I'm talking about what you got to work with is very humbling. You you have so many amazing things that comes out of you know your your toolbox and and how you engage with people or even uh, how you take things seriously in your own heart. You're very passionate. You take your shit so seriously that um, sometimes they can you know as you as an artist uh, you're very vulnerable. Because you expose yourself with the pain, you know you you're not able to kind of be Mr. Cool. You 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 scared shit a lot of times, and but you have but you still have to face the fucking music. You get up there without yet hardly any preparation, and you got the people going. So you know how to work energy. Okay, that's the point, and and that's magic, and that and that's why I started the intro. So. I'm going to finish with saying, when you came to the house and you want to do a blues album, and then I heard you sing, Look at the World, I said, man, I'm taking the studio right now. That's a great song. So I had, before you left, I had a click track and just you singing the, your, this amazing song, Look at the World, with a guitar. And then you left, and then I went right to work. I arranged, had the strings, beautiful production, wasted no time. And I was so in love with it, this song. I still am. And then after we got that out of the system, then you came back and wanted to do a blues album. So I said, well, let me set up the right cats. Uh, and then, and we'll, you know, no expectations. Just let's get, let's see what we get. And we did. And uh, that was a great experience too. So you've been a pro, man. And, uh, you know, so far the projects I'm producing are, are like just a love affair. It's not a, it's not a, a stress at all. It's Brandon Bush is an amazing. He's a genius. He's a brilliant sound engineer. So I'm surrounded with great people, and and I can't function even as a record label. I could not function if it was just me. I, I I'm an idea man. I have to have teams, and and have it implementing. And now I'm learning to have them steer the wheel. So I'm not telling every little move. They're waiting for me to take the next move. You steer the wheel, and uh, and. So I can't touch the wheel. You can't expect me to steer to me to touch it. So I'm learning, I'm learning as an idea man. The best thing I got going to allow that to be to shine, make visions happen, but let other people as the team implement. And uh, and that's what's going on with us. And uh, you're part of uh, this new search of energy. I, I call it dreams we share. It's a great name for a record label, because uh, if we want as artists to be acknowledged, we need to distribute art. That reflects, you know, life as everybody feels things. So we have so artists are very important, and it's nothing greater than dreams we share. Without acknowledgement, any any artist would not be happy. So it's so we are doing our dream, and it's and if it tells a story to people that can make them feel better or uh, improve their life or whatever, that's that's good entertainment. But deeper than entertainment, we all as human beings, we all have something much more to care about, and that's coming together. 
whether it's you know, through music, painting, or anything. So we'll get there, David. We'll be there. Well said. Wow. Right, thank you. And Marco, I know you understand all about this because you, you made me a, a CD that I still have from like 20 years ago. You made me a CD. is a kind of like, you should learn these songs. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, but maybe you will now. And one of them was uh, Unplugged, Tony Bennett. Poets have often used many words to say a simple thing. It takes thought and time and rhyme to make a poem sing. With music and words, I've been trying for you every day song. To be sure that you know what I'm saying, I'll... And I take it back. As I go along. I take it back. You have a beautiful voice. You, 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 you didn't expect anything. <laughs> so, so you gave that to Fly me to the moon. Thank you, Marco. Okay, there. Now let's move to the man, Lee Oscar, please. I'm curiously, yeah. um, and I'm going to ask this to David as well, but what do each of you get from one another? Like, Lee, you've been playing for a long time. I don't, and you said some very nice things about David. As a player, as a musician, what do you get from his playing, or what do you learn from him? And then, Dave, the same thing. What do you learn from Lee? Lee, would you like to go first? Sure. Uh, it's a very simple question, but it's very, it's, it, it's, it's hard for you to resonate to give you a simple answer. Um, I, I don't know how to. Um, I mean, it's there's an intuition and there's a there's a sense there's a, there's a sense of feeling that is that makes the magic. I think the magic, uh, just in general, it doesn't matter who, whatever. Magic is comes out of the naiveness. I think. Uh, Magic does not come out of a monologue. Magic does not come out of, a, um, you know, uh, uh, having something methodically to speak about. You know, magic is the naiveness. Naiveness is 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 reaching to say something that's that's that you're expressing or you're feeling, but you don't. But it's not polished. I mean, without magic, there's no music. You're playing all the physically the notes and everything, but there's no music. Music is is that soul that's not tangible in in a way of describing it, other than it just it's like trying to reach. It's like if I I'm talking right now, um, not not explaining very well, but I'm trying to, and uh, sometimes I will explain the thing maybe better than other times. Every time I explain it, you get you get the same message, but I'm not. I'm not painting by numbers. I don't have it like I'm reading this thing, and that's that's the story. You're reaching to get that result, and uh, and that's the and that's the energy that people feel, and that's what um, we lean on. I mean, I live for that every time. And most most people, when I know that they play, they 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 have just like people play golf. <laughs> I I mean, when I play when I tried to play golf, I thought it was so simple, and I couldn't. I kept missing and making mud on the ground. <laughs> And uh, and then one day, um, Yasuharu Mano, the uh, owner of Tampo Factory, um, and Ned Okado, who's our you know who does the logistics and shipping, he's not a he's not a, a, a great um, golfer. Yasuharu Mano is a better golfer. I'm terrible. I mean, in Maui they ask me, please don't ever come back again, you know, <laughs> um, because 
I, I made mud, you know, but it looks so fucking simple. And I can't let people go ahead of me. So, so the finesse of hitting that ball, and I and that, and, and it's ridiculous. I mean, I can I can stick. You hit the stick with the thing. You can aim, and it, and it doesn't. And it keep missing. It's there's it doesn't make sense. I mean, it just seems like it's so simple. So when Miyashiro showed me, well, Neto Carter's embarrassed to be associated standing next to me because. I don't play well, so he can like look around. But Yasser Harman is a great player. He, he didn't care about all that shit. He was showing me, and he, it was like Rick and Morty's coming in. It was like I was like, like <laughs> and I hit, and it just touched the ball. It went zing. It just, I said, wow, what a what a feeling. That 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 feeling is what people are, are chasing after. Well, when you play, when we play live, I live for being in in a zone every time. Most people, most musicians, when I talk to, not some, but most, don't find that zone. They find it every so often only. And I think it's a lot of times it's also because they play every day with so many different people. The learning curve to learn something rather than being in it. Uh, maybe the music they're doing is not that exciting to them, but they got a job. You know, get a hundred bucks here, fifty bucks there, and all that. But the real truth of the arts, the real truth of the arts, doesn't have prisoners. It's not about learning curve. It's not about all that shit. It's always preparation. But the 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 the, the magic in art is the is the is the naiveness. Just like what was the thing that um, Carey wrote? Um, Picasso. It's the same thing. Just, just a second here. I'm gonna read it to you. Yeah, artists artists tell lies to bring out the truth, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. I'm gonna read it to you. Okay, I'm so. Guessing. Yeah. <laughs> Pablo Picasso famously said, art is a lie that tells the truth. Like each of us, least personal truth cannot possibly be experienced directly as you listen to the music of passages. Anyhow, I don't want to go into that, but my point I'm getting to is that naiveness is what makes magic. It's being in the moment, trying to reach for it. It's not methodically, you know, like a monologue. So you, so when you play music, they're hearing, everybody's hearing me at the same time I'm hearing myself. And I'm reacting to what I'm doing just like they are. And I react from, you know, we react. I'm reacting right now as I'm talking to what I'm hearing and saying. I don't even know when my next word's going to come out. And if I hear the word and it didn't seem right, then I, I didn't mean that or you changed. You're working it. That's what music always got to feel like. It's 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 reaching. It's like it's living the moment rather than rather than being a historian. <laughs> Lee, Lee, this is so deep. I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. I forgot the question. <laughs> we're, talking about, we're talking back. I'll come back to it. We're talking about what you and I have. Where I'm connected. You have you have a magic when you talk when the way you play everything. It's in the moment. That's what it is, and that's what I I love about you as an artist. Okay, and uh, if we want to put it simple, but I can say things very simple, but that doesn't give a lot of people will hear something, but they have no fucking clue of the logistics behind it. So um, I, I go, I go in explaining some logic to it before I give you the final answer. Sorry, <laughs> are, are, are we are we allowed to use the word logic on this uh, podcast? <laughs> yeah, fucking right. Oh, <laughs> logically right. David, right. what do you get from what do you learn from Lee? 
Uh, definitely, uh, uh, the first thing that um, he tapped in on is the magic, which is uh, uh, to me is the sort of the invisible world. Like I, I will use this. Uh, this I have to say this because when I was living in Kensington Market, I heard Lee Oscar before I met him playing in a bar at night, and 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 I. I just heard him in the streets, walking through the streets. I mean, I could still see the streets. It was a rainy, cold night, and it was dark, and it was uh, black and white. And I could hear this harmonica that I've never heard before, never felt before. I mean, I've been listening to harmonica for a long time at this point, but I was hearing stuff that was so deep. I was like, man, I, I was following the sound just to get to the club, you know, where Lee was playing. And, and, I, and I went upstairs, and I was very shy, and sort of, so I just, I just stood and, and listened. But... Uh, that was the first time that I, I ran into Lee. I was already using his harmonicas and someone told me that's Lee Oscar. And I was like, wow, okay, understandably so. So that was the first time. It was a feeling. And um, then after that, it grew into obviously uh, um, an encounter. And the second thing, which is, you know, second, because feeling to me is always the first and foremost. But then second was his consciousness. and 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 his caring. So the, how much he seems to care and be passionate about music and his consciousness just on a conscious, logical <laughs> level was very, was very um, endearing to me. It was very, was, I, I love that stuff. I love, uh, you know, trying to, to, uh, to rise to a consciousness and, and, and aspire to a certain amount of caring and passion. So he had those three things going, the musicality, the caring, and and passion and consciousness. So. Jesus Christ, you make me sound like a fucking angel. What's the matter? With you? <laughs> <laughs> and then we and then we had breakfast, and it was all downhill from there. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> it was it was it just, that's that's it. I and I have been cussing. I should be careful, right? This is you. Know, you you can't air stuff. It's because so I will. Oh I no, I can. I will be very polite from here. On. No, it's okay. It's, it's okay. You're not. I, I, being I, very polite compared to Miles Davis. Well, I'm not trying to be rude. <laughs> no, that, that that's it, uh, Marco. So all those all those things, and then of course uh, because I was using Lee Oscar harmonicas, and then I went into his legacy, and then that was a, a completely other universe. But first and foremost, those things which are really important to me: the the, the passion for something, the caring, and the feeling. Um. Lee, when, when you started playing harmonica at the age of seven or six, tell me how that happened. Um, well, it's, uh, that would be 1954. And uh, I was six years old and, uh, you know, in Copenhagen. And the, um, that summer, harmonica was just the end thing. You know, it was, uh, it was the, and I remember all kinds of kids had harmonicas and, an American came to visit my family and I, um, and he brought he brought me a harmonica. I guess he knew that was the end thing. That's that simple. It's a story I've said over and over. That that what happened was when I got my harmonica. I mean, even the box it was in, everything, the smell, everything. I was just in love with it, and it it and it made me feel like now I'm a conductor and I can I can compose stuff and and uh, I mean I was like so living, imagining. You know, to living out uh, a dream to be uh, come true, and it—it's what I live for. It's, you know, back then I was as a kid. 
I was very much into entomology. Not reading books. I just started studying on my own. I was just, I, I, I have to tell you something. I never read a book till this day in my life. I've never read a book. Uh, it's not bragging. It's just some, some <laughs> you're right. <laughs> it's not bragging. It's, 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 it's a shame because there's so much people get out of it, but I fall asleep. I just read, like get to like the third word. By the time I read that, I'm like <sighs> down. So I find, I learn other ways. They get excited. Uh, entomology. I was really into, I mean, I could sit at a, I could sit at a pond and sit there for 10 hours without moving. I could just to just to be like not noticed and then watch movement life. I mean, I just that was my world as a kid. And the same thing with when I had a harmonica, I was like when I got that harmonica, it was like holy mackerel. So I'm 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 curious what what made the harmonica so popular then? Like why was it the hottest thing in the mid fifties? Was there was there something going on in the states? Was 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 it the harmonicats or who? What, how did well, that happen? First of all, I have to tell you, the harmonica um, has has always had this uh, secondary image. It's it's uh, it's it's designed for the musically hopeless, basically. Um, when I say that is there's when I say that actually there's a lot of people who love music. I mean, the majority of people, the majority of us love music. Uh, Napoleon even <laughs> what he said about music is it's, it's the only noise he'll tolerate. You know. So, <laughs> but so music has has a profound effect, I think, it because uh, the senses as human beings, our visual and our audio, both are our main senses. I mean, if we had the nose like a like a dog, we would probably be artists, smell artists, you know. I mean, uh, but we we express things uh, through visual and audio. Our audio is 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 is, is so much part of us. And there's a lot of people who love music, most people, and they can't play. And just because they can't maybe call a rhythm or they physically they are uncoordinated, that doesn't mean they don't hear music deeply. They might hear music deeper than Miles Davis or any of us. They might hear music so deep that, thank God, they have other people who can play music that they can listen to and speak for them. But they can't channel physically themselves to anything. You know, and and you break up harmonic and you're already breathing and you're breathing in out and it's, and there's already notes set up as, uh, um, um, uh, you know, a combination of notes wherever you blow and draw. So you're getting not just a note, but you're getting harmonies and it's like it, it it's playing you. You're not playing it. It's playing you and it makes you feel like you're doing music. So I think it, it, I think as a as an instrument for folks since um, the ten holes back in the middle 1800s, uh, you know, uh, in Port the United States also, you know, Horner was a main player. And there was, um, you know, some other manufacturers, um, without going into the history of that, it's had this appeal for people just to, like a music box that you breathe on and it makes in and out. But there are a lot of people who are considered musically, uh, like very amazing, just because they can play 10 different instruments. And some of those people who can play 10 different instruments and they recorded drums, the bass, everything, themselves, the album, it sounds like it's the same person. There's no, there's nothing, I don't even feel it's organic. It's all method, it's all methodical. It's all from thinking, man's worst disease, than expressing. It's an exercise of look what I can do. 
And, and some of those people have tiny ears who can play 10 different instruments. They really don't have big ears. Some people that are musically hopeless have huge ears. So let's, let's, so let's, not, let's not get stuck on, um, um, where was I going with this? Let's not, let's take, let's not get stuck on, on, uh, on somebody's vocabulary. <laughs> let's not get stuck on how sophisticated they can use words. Let's talk about the essence of heart and soul and expression. A wounded dog can be much more soulful than a human being. I mean, if it's expressing and a human being is, is just talking from the brain rather than talking from the emotions of, um, well, the brain is both. Uh, can I, I'm talking a lot. There's some things I wanted to, I wanted to say about that. Sure. Is that when we play music, at least I know when I play music and when I'm in the moment, in the moment, which I live for every time I play. Otherwise, if, why would I even want to play? I have to put my emotions up front, supported with the logic, the logic behind to support with the integrity. So if I'm hearing something I play that didn't sound right, I'll repeat it. I'm not going to stop like it's a mistake. In other words, so, so in the moment, I can depend on my reflexes. That's my best. If I don't trust that, I'm, I'm, I'm doomed. So what I got to go with is, is in the moment, which is, what is there? I don't know till that moment. And in that moment, I'm there. That's what I get. And that's what I do. I can't talk about before. I can't talk about after as it is in the moment. And that moment when it's captured recording is, is a blessing for everybody else too. But the point is that when you're in that moment and you're naive and all that, you know, you, 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 um, you, you have to really, Trust, like I said, reflexes. You have to trust your trust because that's what you got going on. So when I went to the Tombo factory for my 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 meeting, that one meeting we had once a year back then, that was like three days marathon, and we were and you know in meetings like eight hours a day for few for two three days. Um, I had a concert that evening after my meeting. And in that meeting, we had some discussions that was pretty intense. There, I had to put my logic up front, supported with my emotions, the opposite. So in my business meeting, my emotions are my integrity. It's my passion. It's what I, it's the principles where, where I stand. And that's supported with the logic doing the business. But as soon as I had done my meetings, I was running late. I had to go to a hotel, rush to the hotel, get upstairs and get my, uh, get uh, my briefcase emptied with the business stuff and, and put the sheet music in and I had to head to this concert we hadn't even rehearsed and these people had never played my shit before and they had to look at these charts and, uh, and, and, and I've never, never experienced it quite like this moment when I got on stage for this concert to play it took me about 30 seconds it felt like a long time maybe it took a minute but it felt forever that my brain couldn't shift from the logic up front, supported with the emotions, where now I'm now I'm going to play in the moment. That's letting the emotions being up front, supported with your logic. You see, and just that yin and yang shift like that, um, that became very apparent to me at that that particular day. I've never experienced it so clear any other time because I shift, I can shift just like that. But that time it was hard to let go of the logic, and put that behind, and and let the emotions be up front. It took a few seconds or whatever, but long felt like a long time. And that was like a nightmare. 
You know, like he would like scared shit. However, the fact that you had that, I don't know if a lot of artists have both sides, the business and the artistic side. I'm not saying none of them do, but I think a lot of the artists, true artists are focusing on the art and, and they don't think business. You obviously have the ability to do both because you run a company, but you're also very musical. But I, I think you, were more, you would be more the exception than, than the norm. Absolutely. They take their two different aptitudes, absolutely, in, in thinking. And, uh, and there are people who play music who are thinking the same way as when they do business. So there's no emotions. It's just all, yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but anything, anything, uh, I mean, telling a good joke. You know, how many people hear good jokes and they, 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 they understood they were funny, but can they tell the joke? No. How many, how many people can tell a joke? I couldn't either, but I heard of one that was so amazing that I didn't want to forget it. That did something to my brain where it didn't open up and I was able to recalculate something, which is the same as business, is, is understanding the, the logic. I don't have to know the exact words, but how to set up something, how to set the scenario or whatever it is, so the humor, the message is through. And that's what business is. Business is very creative. If, 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 if you're doing business with something you love, it's, in other words, if, if I'm in business with something I can't stand, there's no way in the world I can function properly in business. And a lot of people are stuck in that. They, they have success where they feel like they're living in hell. People that, that try some things, try things and never succeed, they're very fortunate. Because a lot of times they try things that they really, if they were successful at, they would be in hell. Because they really weren't in love with what they were trying to do. David? Yeah, on that uh, sort of uh, like this sort of business uh, or art and commerce or left side or right side of the brain, if I don't mind uh, to maybe kind of uh, shine some light on this for all of us is uh, I'll paraphrase. Uh, Bruce Lee was once asked, what is, you know, what is art? And, uh, and you know, and he was just, you know, he's just sort of landing and, and, and they were trying to say, you know, he's uh you know, you're a Caucasian, you're, 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 uh, you're from Asia and this and that, and, and you're a superstar. And he said, no, I don't want to hear about superstar. And it's not about, you know, uh, my culture or anything like this. He said, we're, we're all, we're all humans and we have a left side and right side of the brain. The, the right side, um, is very, uh, artistic and wants to have, uh, be creative and go creative. The left side is very robotic and, and needs order. Right. And he said, so, and you're talking about my art, which is martial art. He said, so when, when, when I'm doing this is I, for half of the day, if, if I'm doing a lot of kicks and punches, they're very robotic. The other side of me wants to be very wild and loose. So if, if, I'm, if I'm just right side of the brain, well, I'm all wild, I'm all over the place, I'm creative, I'm crazy. If I'm just left side of the brain, I become very robotic. And, 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 and that's not good either. He said, so I have to marry these two sides of the brains with sincerity. And that's where the art is. Hmm. And I love that because he said, when I marry them with sincerity, then it becomes art. So they're both very necessary. Well, yeah. And, and if you want to tell a good joke, a good story, a good joke, you have to have applied to, you have to, 
organized. It's all about order. It's all about momentum in what order you, you're setting up sequence. You're setting things up, you know. Uh, every time you'll set it up differently, but it still comes, gets that end result, you know. So it's just understanding logic. I agree. I agree with you there. And and being sincere, it's something that you love doing, not not something that you can't stand and you really got to vacate, take a vacation from it. I mean, a permanent vacation from it. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty bad. And people are people I need to get away that seriously. They, they don't have a life. So Lee, when you were seven and learning how to play the harmonica, I know that David, having talked to him, he wanted to be James Cotton or he wanted to emulate playing of James Cotton. What did you want to do? Like, what what were you pursuing with your harmonica back then? Being a, an orchestrator leader, <laughs> conductor, uh, uh, playing. A, I never, I never, I never sat down. And first of all, I never had a record player until I got with Eric Burden. Um, and that's a big difference in a lot of people growing up. A lot of people have a record player. So they, if they want to play blues, a lot of times they, um, they listen to Little Walter, there's certain key players, they all, and they basically sit there and copy. And, they, and it's muscle memory without, even without feeling. I mean, I, 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 I hate to say it, uh, without feeling. It's, it's emulating something very well, but what's the point? If Rembrandt already painted that fucking picture, why do you have to paint it? Paint something else. Why did somebody? Why is this somebody thinks I was born in Chicago? <laughs> in Chicago? Why the, what the fuck? They, what about? I love you, Oscar. So, love so there's okay. a lot of people that are emulating wonderful things, and that's that's flattery. That's great, you know. And they're making a living. That's fine. All that I, you know, that they do whatever their thing is. That's what they do. I I couldn't do it. I am not interested in doing anything. I would be the laziest person in the world if I wasn't able to get off my ass and do just what I feel like doing. But what did you know what that was back then? Like, how do you pursue that when, you, when you're just starting because to play I, an instrument? What I want to do is not, is not seeing the whole picture. No, what I want to do, I want to play the harmonica. Okay, I pick up the harmonica. But if somebody's expecting, well, what do you want to do? Like, I got to explain what I'm going to play in that first? Forget it. <laughs> Okay, well, what would you have been playing? Like, say, if I would have seen you in the streets in New York playing, you would, I would make stuff up, and then, and then, because I would open my eyes and see you there, I would then get out of that by fading it out. Like, I would be going like, and then I'd make up a name for the song and say, "Here's another song." Hope they won't ask me to play the other one again because I can't make up. The, you, I can't play the same way twice. That's the only difference between me now and then is, is I can repeat things. I couldn't do it when I was a kid. Of course, I got better tone. I'm, I'm a better player. I mean, but the initial love, why do I have a harmonica, whether I'm good or not, is the most important thing. It's the connection with this tool, with the essence of what I, that makes me feel like I can express to it. That's my friendship with, with this tool. This doesn't make music. People make music. Tools do not make music. That's why a lot of people like the NAMM shows, the trade shows, you know, the NAMM music. Yeah. I tell them, well, you're not in the musical, you're not in the music business. They hate me saying that. 
And I love telling them, you're not in the music business. You're in the hardware business. You make hardware for musicians to use, but you're not in the music business. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> it's semantic. Okay, I so I read somewhere that you felt that you had to go to the to North America to to the United States. Oh, why why was that? Like, what 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 drove you, and what were you hoping to achieve? Well, uh, now I understand your question to that. Back in the sixties and seventies, it was very. Uh, compelling you know the Beatles the Rolling Stones I mean rock and roll the music business and that really you know from a child I mean it was like my I wanted to be in the music I, I, I even though I couldn't read music and all the things I would fail that people would would put would put me uh, hold me on to and say you're not a musician you can't read you're not this you're not any of those things I wouldn't I wouldn't accept any of those prisoners I didn't take no prisoners I would even lie if I had to say yeah I can read music don't anybody stop me from getting through the gate. Once you hear me, that's when you can tell me if I if I suck or not. But nothing before that. Don't fucking ever make a measurement with it. That's that's how I was, um, and it was party defense. Well, because I was always I, I had a complex about not being able to do the things that that the uh, traditional music world expects you to do if you're even going to call yourself a musician. So, uh, you know, so I didn't want to be not denied of what my passion was. And I didn't want those obstacles to get in the way. So back to why did I come to America? Why would I want to? Well, there's only two places in the world that the music business at that time was excelled at. Everybody in the world does music. There's music everywhere. You can take a Serengi, but that who, that looks weird to most people in, in the Western world. So, ding, you know, whatever, or Koto, or, <laughs> or Shamisen, or whatever it is. It's all fucking music. It's all musical instruments, and it's people that are playing everywhere. But the rock and roll, the music industry, the record industry was United States and England. And United States, I mean, my dream, when I learned about Ray Charles, I mean, that's this was the my dream to make it that was bigger than life there was no compromise there was it's not like I, it's not like I'm looking at my watch well I'm gonna give it so much time to make it in my career or I'm gonna give up this here for about maybe two months and let's see what happens no all that silly you know bourgeoisie shit I don't I, I, I had none of that none of that dragging me down it was all just about what it is still today what I live for is my 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 music my passion even the manufacturing, it's a passion that I, I did something that was almost impossible, and uh, and and so much so much uh, credibility to uh, Tompo Factory for believing in me, and uh, and uh, they've survived over 105 years now. I'm going on almost 40 years, um, so at least, at least I'm, I'm I'm focusing on you know Marco my being in America. My dreams have come true. Uh, I wouldn't say my dreams have come true, but the platform to make my dreams come true. It's definitely um, I have that going on, which is hard to get that kind of situation. You know, I mean, I would say I have a place, I have a can rehearse, I have uh, there's some income, so I can contribute right back into investing back into what I love doing. I have an occupation. I'm occupied. I came to America because I am occupied with what I love doing. I'm what, was, what, what was making it? What was your idea of making? Well, like, what did you envision that to be? Uh, again, it, it's such a big white canvas. 
the fact that when, when I when I got with Eric Burton and he was like, and I was starstruck. I mean, you know, I'm like a groupie. I mean, his, I mean, this guy, this great blues singer, you know, the Animals, and, and he, I mean, he and Mick Jagger and the Beatles. I mean, they were all up there. And for me to have a connection with Eric, that was like holy shit. I make my dream is coming true. And uh, and with that, um, I I didn't know what. I mean, it was exciting when I would hear our record just played in a car. And then when you hear it from the radio, because it's so compressed, it's just in a vibe, and you see people on the streets while you're driving and hearing your hit record. I mean, the sensationalism of all those, so many things um, was beyond, uh, I mean, none of those things I could ever have expectations because I, I just, it's just one big thing. I want to, I want to be successful in the music business. I want to, this is what I live for, music and the arts. So if you're playing the harmonica on your own and you're not really listening to records per se, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're listening to radio and whatever, but it's not like you want to be little Walter. How do you know when you've become good? Like, how do you know that Lee Oscar is a good harmonica player when you're doing your thing? The day one when I got my harmonica, that you would think, man, this kid's terrible. He, please, it's, 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 it's noise. It's bothering me. I thought I was good. Oh, okay. So confidence is something you never lacked. It was. It was. It wasn't even a confidence because confidence. Yeah, it was confidence. But confidence, I think of is like you when you think things out and you and you have a positive feeling about it. It wasn't even about thinking about it. It's what. What does a kid think when he picks up any other toy? Do they have a big plan? No. Same thing. It was just. I was so in love with it. Yeah, it's amazing. That's great. Yeah, you just want to feel good. You just want to feel good. And when you feel good, it seems like this is the Paolo Coelho thing. When you feel good, you're probably close to the answer. When you don't feel good, you're probably far from the answer. Because <laughs> there is no answer. But Because there's no answer to everything. But if you feel good, you're probably close to whatever that answer is. Yeah, that's true. And, and you know, it could have been a yo-yo. Because yo-yo was, was a, you know, it was a hula hoop. It was a harmonica. It was a yo-yo. And I could have been in love with the yo-yo. I mean, I did that also as a kid, you know, doing the tricks, but I never really got deep into it. But if I had, I could have been today one a yo-yo manufacturer and have some very high-end yo-yos, you know, uh, and that's an art too. Like, there's nothing, there's not, there's not a single thing in the universe that is not part of nature. There's nothing unnatural. That's a semantic. There's nothing in, in, in nature that that says that, that uh, this is... This is a good thing to do, and this is not a good thing. It, it's all matter how you connect. I mean, if it was a real beautiful world, we have we have every skill already existing. If they just exchange jobs and now make it an occupation, if everybody finds their niche, and somebody's niche could have been just being a garbage collector, that people could love that. I mean, it's it, not saying one thing we need a job done, but we can't. There's nobody's going to do it that in love with it. If you find every job that's needed and you find the right people that's in love with it, you would have a happy world. It doesn't. You can't put my art as more important than the science. What happened to little Susie and little, little Johnny? How come they get a fucking keyboard and a guitar every time? What happened to the microscope and the telescope? What the fuck is going on in this world? It's hey, Lynn, stop yelling at me. <laughs> I get it. You're right. <laughs> it's sensationalism rather than... Rather than how much music are you listening to? How famous is the composition? Oh, it's a hit. Oh, let me listen to it. 
Why don't you listen to it just for the merit of its music? <laughs> if, if you don't mind me interjecting for two seconds. I don't mind. Sorry. <laughs> for the sensationalism, if I don't mind to relate that to say maybe possibly how did Lee's success, how did he know he's successful? Well, to me, a big thing is definitely when he's, he's with all of a sudden uh, embraced by uh, Eric Burden, who is on par with Mick Jagger and the Beatles at that point. That to me is a huge testimony. That means that these guys are on the same, they're on the same uh, wavelength, they're on the same dimension. So I don't know what Lee was doing before that or anything like that, but that, that, that connection and, and that, that sort of, uh, that formed to me was, uh, was a, it was, it's a very big statement. It's a very, it says a lot, you know, that, that Lee all of a sudden was right in there with all of these other guys that get a lot of oxygen. I mean, I, I, um, and I, I like to see Lee get that same oxygen because obviously he's cut from the same cloth. It's uh, so I think, you know, thank you. Dave. You know, I was very fortunate uh, in regards to Eric in just the way Eric was. Um, the part that that I'm referring to with him was as a twofold. One was when when we when he's out with his whiskey or cold or anywhere we hang out socializing. I was. You know, I would come along with Eric. Um, of course, everybody knew who Eric was. They didn't know who I am. But but Eric always uh, made it very comfortable for a person like me as part of his band and that to be wherever he is and uh, and uh, enjoy the, the hanging with whoever wherever we're there, whether it's Led Zeppelin or whatever it was. And they would know my name. I and mean, it was just very flattering. But... Uh, the difference was that because I don't have the attention that I saw, you know, that you, you obviously uh, Eric Burton would have. Uh, I was able to be a fly on the wall. It was an amazing situation. I know other bands, famous guys who have, you know, backup bands, backup musicians and all that, and they keep them separate. You know, they, they'll tell you, yeah, I'm playing with Sting and I'm doing this and that, but you really know the truth is Sting is in a whole lot of... <laughs> He's trying to hold on the thing. They got different dressing rooms, different hotels. They don't even see each other except the moment they're on stage, and then it's like next. So, so that's a job, you know. Um, I didn't have the expectations. Eric had those expectations, and Eric, I was just a fly in the wall, so I could see things without it, without the attention or me having to, you know, to answer to something. Um, and I saw a lot of. A lot of things I wasn't comfortable with, um, to be honest. I was flattered, but I wasn't comfortable because it was. Um, it can be very intimidating um, uh, if you're in the front line. I mean, I, when I saw Jimi Hendrix and when I saw Eric and how they interact and, and other people around, it's like a show. You know, they're, they're put on a pedestal, but in the heart and soul, they, I, 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 don't see, I didn't see Jimi Hendrix wanting to be on the pedestal. As I'm being a very scared and vulnerable person from what I saw. Like very, um, it's exciting to be famous in the industry and all that. He was excited. I mean, sure, I can't imagine he's not. But I saw a lot of um, a lot of people around. It's like one hand is love you and the other hand is like always looking and getting something. And, uh, you know, and the sad thing is that everything costs. And so revenues being cost. Uh, gets on the tab of that uh, celebrity, and everybody else is partying, and uh, and somebody's got to pay that back. And at some point, the, the famous and the sensational becomes bigger than life, and becomes more the activity than than 
than having a, a real reality of just like anybody else coming to go home and go to work or go to or be on the road, but understanding it as a as more real, realistic. I mean, sometimes people get monies and they, you get checks, royalties, and don't even know where it's coming from. And I think that's wrong. I think it's right if I if I if I know what to claim, if I, I and I, I say that to everybody, you only earn what you know how to claim. If you don't know what you earned, then you didn't. If you don't know what to claim, you didn't earn it. So you get checks from royalties, and if you don't know why you're getting it, that's not really a good situation. Maybe you're getting more than you should gotten. Now you're stealing if you don't. If you and you're going to have to pay back sooner or later and interest. Or if you didn't get paid enough, you got to know to claim what you know. It's it's like any other business. Doesn't matter if it's fish, apples, or, or music. Uh, when it comes to the business part, so you don't have to be brilliant at business, but you have to respect it and take responsibility. So back in those days, I mean, it was like parties, and you know, and and it became a point where the business sector was kept things separate from the artist, probably because they felt very vulnerable with the artist's naiveness that they could mess things up because they could look like you're stealing when it's when. It may not be stealing. It's just a, a ruthless game in how you get these royalties. And that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, sometimes I find ratings for the music business is no different than, than the bookies for the horse races. <laughs> it's like, it's like who you know and, and, and shouting loud and all that. It's, uh, you know, um, very little of it is really about the music. It's a sensationalism. You know, you see the gold albums behind me? Yep, I I've liberated myself a lot in the last few years, and this is a big step because I all my gold albums years ago I would take them down when if a plumber came to the house I wouldn't I, I would I didn't want anybody to know my where I live and my my so called success by seeing a bunch of trophies because it gives it stimulates the brain with this image of a the sensationalism which is so far from the reality of what I live for or what the what the music business, you know, that's behind, back behind the stage and there's an in front of the stage, same thing. There's a veneer, but don't buy your own hype. In other words, like, uh, you know, uh, be there for real. And if you're there more for the hype than for the real, then it's going to be short-lived. You, you, you once told me that I think you were in California and you had like $17 to your name. Or in your pocket, and that was That's it. Money. I don't remember having seventeen dollars last time. Yeah, but I had a little bit, a dollar two. Okay, maybe two bucks. But yeah. you went through a time when you were actually playing on the street, busking on the street, correct? Well, no, I didn't. I played on the street, you know, every so often. I played, you know, something, but I didn't. I fortunately, I didn't get stuck in that mode. Like I see people, they were almost like it's like that. It's like their job now. It's like they might still have yeah, a concession. Yeah. And same street corners, like they, it's like their concession. Thing. Um, no, I was urgency. How do I eat? I mean, that was I could go two, three days sometimes without eating, Marco. And it was, it uh, no, yeah. I and I, 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 my mission was to make it, and to make it was not standing on the street corner, and and uh, and be a victim to as call myself homeless, even though it was tough times. I, I wanted to make it so bad in in the real business. Did you, was there a point when you knew you made it? Yeah. The point when I first met Eric Burton, I, I that was, <laughs> that was like, that was the ticket to get through the gate. 
What do you think he saw in you? That, that... I don't know. I, I don't know. I, 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 I believe he saw the raw... I mean, he's not, a, he's not a, an, an academic musician either, you know. So we as musicians, we, what we have in commonality is just how fucking how the guy plays and how it feels, you know. And so that was my energy, I think, was what, what, what I was able to sell on every time. But in my idea, in my mind, I was thinking I had to bullshit. I mean, I lied to even uh, Eric. I said, "Yeah, I can arrange and all that." In my brain, I mean, I hear I hear things constantly. I arrange even the album, even though I hired a string play, you know, arrange for for David's album. I arrange it. I'll I'll sing the parts, even some of the parts, you know. So I hear things, but I wasn't academic and very illiterate in that sense, and I wouldn't want to be cold on that and and be put down that you you're not a musician. Get the fuck out of here, that kind of thing, or or don't allow it to come to the gate. So I had, so I would go down to rehearsal in Long Beach where we had this little garage with Charles Miller's place where the band where we would rehearse, and I was told uh, by Eric, well don't, go down there and, and teach him these tunes. But as soon as I come down there, you know they say, hey Lee, just shut up, man, just, <laughs> just play. <laughs> oh my God! And then. So it was that two different worlds, and uh, and then I finally realized nobody nobody bought on the fact that I knew I arranged. Why would they? Why would they not believe me? I mean, I mean, I don't come across I'm a fucking bullshitter, but but uh, some things in Survivor, I guess I had to do. Um, so, but it never, I never failed anybody because what I had to achieve, well, nobody could recharge anyway. It wasn't that. It was just here's what we're going to do. So it was very organic, and uh, and and I think what gave me a license to be accepted was the the, the the core, the rawness of just my passion in the music and play. And that's, and once I realized that, it, I, I was liberated in that sense, because now I realized even like Slide Hyde, Gary Grant, people that are trumpet players, trumpet players, greatest session guys in LA, they do like two or three sessions every day. They, they kill, they make a lot, a lot of money. Seven days a week. Three sessions a day. They have no idea what they play. They just go in and read the chart, play and next. There's, there was a union strike, the TV union strike. So they, so now there was a lot of TV, a lot of things that didn't. There was no gigs. Then Slide High came to me and came to me and says, Lee, it's been like twenty some years since uh, since I wanted to, since I had planned to put a band together, and I've been in this whole thing with the music studio, and I realized how much I'm missing. I would like you to. I want to be part of a band with you and that. And I got so excited. And then a couple of weeks later, when the strike was over, bang, right in the studio. <laughs> They're living their life. Because they got named it. They got, I mean, they got a lifestyle. They can make so much money. They got houses, wives, maintaining. But they missed actually playing music because, they, because they're playing as a studio musician. But everybody else wants you to read the charts and they have the skills and the chops. That doesn't mean it's the art, what they love. That just... And you need people. I need people every day who has those skills, who can play what I want them to play. I'm not looking for them to be the 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 the, the fiddle player, the the you know the, the leader. I, you know, some things need to be very arranged and beautiful. So there's there's two worlds. But a guy like David Rotundo, can you imagine him putting him in the studio and telling him what to say and sing? It'd be crazy. It'd be like he'd be a mute. He'd be written down as the worst 
as as the most useless artist, so would I. I would be I would be the most useless artist. The guy can't play. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> because I wouldn't be if I'm not playing what I what I love. I love you. It's 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 just not my world. It's I don't have the I can't go to sleep at night and I and I can look at a map and say, okay, that's how before rain goes. I can't read a chart. It's all here. <laughs> when when you got together with Eric Burden and decided to create War, do you did you know what kind of band you guys wanted? Like, was it was it obvious what War was going to be? Well, here again. Everything we've we've been doing has never been never about his what we're going to be doing. That was never his. It's always about what do we have, and whatever you have, that's as hard as that feel, and that's that's what marinates and becomes what it is. If you were to plan that, it would never happen. There's no way you can plan. That's what most people fuck up on records. They produce records. They're so in control that everything is methodical that it comes across like there's like it was either. No, there was no feeling, but either it was terribly played or it was greatly played, but there was no feeling. Did the surprise, did the the success of the band surprise you at all, or did yeah. you expect it? No, I didn't expect it, but I was very happily surprised. I was just, I I was like the friendly ghost or something. I could walk up to someone who holds a guitar who just may not be able to play, but I would say, I would just, hey man, let's play something, <laughs> and whatever he would strum and all that. That I wasn't there. I wasn't uh, so picky, like, oh, man, this guy can't play. I wasn't, not at all. I was just excited to engage with anybody, anytime, anywhere. And that's what allowed me, by playing every day, finally with the band, where we jam every day, that is, this, that is the most important thing anybody can ever do for themselves, is having a regular, playing regularly every day with other people, interacting. Because it's not about just yourself practicing, but it's also how you can interact as you hear others because that's what music is music is like a conversation you know except except i don't hear a conversation i'm fucking talking and you guys are sitting there <laughs> polite and listening how, how long have you been talking for lee I, yeah good morning you haven't been and yet you haven't interrupted me yet jesus christ because, because the stuff you're saying is so um it's great i love hearing it i'm i'm, I'm so excited and happy to be listening to this right now i, I honestly it's amazing. That's why I wouldn't. I wouldn't dare interrupt. Sorry, for interrupting. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's um, the arts of any arts, you know, Marco. The arts is is um, I think has been. In many cases, I feel it's been um, um, misunderstood, and uh, have been um, therefore been treated like a second citizen. Do you know, if I can just, just start here, the, if we support the arts and you ask most people, why should you support the arts? They will tell you it's because it makes you happy. It's happy talk and all that. Um, you will never see real money to support the arts if it's just, uh, if it's just um, uh, a, a token that makes people feel good. But if you want real money from the arts, Marco, and you're a journalist, you're the one that can really push the button to even make this maybe happen, is that the art should be supported by the commerce and the industry for the simple reason that anybody who expresses anything, whether you like that the way they paint a tree or you like or you don't like the way they paint a tree, it doesn't matter. Anybody who expresses 
is is um, can, is very um, is has value to monitor what people are thinking. And if you want to have healthy products for your community, you must pay attention to what neighborhoods what the neighborhood is expressing. And graffiti and all that can tell you a lot in what's going on. And if you know what's going on, then you can come up with healthy products, products that that are, that are healthy. So just to, to be entertained is not good enough for art. The art actually, there are politicians and there's artists. The politician uh, philosophizes, gives the philosophy and theory, and then puts policies in place to keep coordination and in, in, in community coordinated in harmony. An artist doesn't coordinate. An artist reacts to what's going on and the frustration and reflects, uh, you know, reflects that in expression. And that should be paid attention because every person that, that, that's crying out for something should be paid attention to because that collectively you can know, you know what the neighborhood is thinking. So support the arts for not just for the pleasure we do. Support the arts also because it's really a language that we can read more about what people are thinking. And that can keep things. I don't mean in a. I don't mean like in a in a bad way by monitoring that's going to be spies. I mean people can go in that way too. But I mean it just makes more continuity, where healthy products and healthy thinking can uh, can preserve and 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 answer things and what's going on in the neighborhood. And the artist expresses those things. Well said, David. Did you want to add something? I can't add anything to that. I just say amen. <laughs> I'll say amen. No, really, it's it's wonderful. I, 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 I yeah, absolutely. I uh, while we, what I was going to say was, that's okay. Don't you don't need to read a book. Please write one. <laughs> I, 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 that's amazing. Sorry, but but the, you know, if I were to say so, one thing for a two second interjection here, because uh, again, on my side. Um, you know, I grew up listening to classic rock, and I loved those guys, the Jimi Hendrix Band, Zeppelin, The Doors, Deep Purple, Supertramp, all these guys. I grew up on them. Then then I went into, uh, you know, I, I, I had to do archaeology, and I, and I started to become uh, gravitated towards the blues. So I went down the blues avenue and, and started getting hip to those guys. And, and eventually bought a harmonica because that was going to be the instrument. But I, I didn't at that point even though I was using Lee Oscar harmonicas, I did not know who Lee Oscar was and I did not know the band War. I just didn't know his band. I, I didn't, you know. And um, not till years later after I met Lee, I still, you know, wasn't compelled to go in and find out about this band War. I, I, I don't know why it, was, it wasn't a sort of like a dismissive thing or anything like that. It just didn't, it didn't call me yet. When it did finally call me, if you don't mind me saying it's, you know, and, and I value and hold in the highest regard, all these, you know, the, the beautiful art of, of, of Floyd and, and Zeppelin and these, these great bands. When I, when I got into uh, war, I had four war albums and I kind of, I isolated myself up at my, my parents' cottage. And I just listened to these albums over and over for the first time. And I, I could not believe the um the depth of this this stuff i i was i was just i was in awe because i i thought i thought i was at the, the peak of the mountain with the bands like uh floyd and dark side of the moon and all this stuff and 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 this is kudos to, to you lee and the guys i know it was it was it was a it was a big uh a family but 
I, I literally, I have to say this because you know, I, feel, I feel I have to say it. It's just the, the artistry and the musicality, I was in awe by the, 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 the beauty of it. Whether it was a sad song like, you know, Four Cornered Room or, or Slipping Into Darkness, oh, just everything. It's just, I mean, the musicality and all of it, just like it was, I was in awe thinking, man, this, this band is on the highest level with everything I know. And I was, so when it, I hear Lee speaking about art, I'm thinking, how is it possible that I, that I missed this band? You know, because I, I considered myself very much in like reading the newspaper, if you will, of, of what was going on back then. But it was always, you know, Zeppelin, Doors and Hendrix and then Floyd and stuff like that. And I was like, man, I mean, this band is, is it just like not not one song. I mean, every song and every album. And that all I could say is thank you, uh, Lee and the guys for that. Oh, and because you. it really was really uh, a, a wonderful find for me. Yeah, thank you, David. Um, you know, I think uh, I think there's some things to. Uh, that, I mean, there's reasons why, um, as 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 much as success as there was with hit records and everything, why uh, we didn't uh, we didn't get as far, and as many people in the world know about us as uh, as potentially, is because when the fun stops. And um, the creative, the creativity stops when there becomes a distrust, when there becomes um, disappointments or disillusions, or when it becomes like even almost being broke. You have a hit records, and 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 um, and you and you trying to figure out where's my, you know, and then you get a check, and it's always an advance. It's never <laughs> money earned. Uh, you know, the whole game, I went to a great school. I, I went to school to learn all the shit you shouldn't do to other people. And um, and I learned some really amazing, brilliant stuff, especially from Steve Gold, Jerry's partner, who was brilliant. He was the bad guy. He wasn't the bad guy. He was just, his personality comes across like rough and all that. No, he was brilliant. Brilliant. But... The music industry. Let's let's be honest about something. If we all can agree on the whole world, all around the earth, not just in the United States, not just on the Western Hemisphere, but in the whole earth, wherever there's people, there's music. And there's music, and let's also be honest. What you call like the blues, which is the American blues, it's not the it's 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 a it's a form of music that has called blues, but the blues is everywhere in the world. And the real and the blues that are the blues. Uh, did, I mean, it's the only it's the only music that's blues in, in America. Is in America, I would say, is because it used to tell us a story. It's not. Um, it's a lot of time. I think it's more important that there's somebody singing or telling a story than it, like me playing instrumentally that motif of music. So it's it's dancing and telling a story is part of the blues in America. I believe. If I if it was uh, not as even though the form itself, I play blues is instrumental. Yeah, I, I love that motif music. But the whole world where there's music, there's the blues. The guy plays the Serenki in, 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 in Pakistan. Ding, ding. I mean, that's the blues, man. I mean, 
or you know, or playing a, a, an oud or, or playing whatever instrument anywhere is no different than Marty Waters playing the guitar or whatever. Um, and the music industry, because of the United States of England was the main industry, they killed it. They actually killed it rather than they wonder why the music industry is not growing. It's because they killed it. The blame is on, on what I would call categories of music. Categories of music are for two purposes, for marketing or for librarians. If it, you know, librarians, where do I file it? And for marketing, what story do I want to tell? But other than that, it's music. And when you went to Tower Records, back in the days when they had, when they had the Tower Records, people were actually literally affected by the category in what choosing what department you're going to walk in. I mean, it was like, not only like that was, well, I got to go to this department to get this, but it was almost like, that's my department. And, and opera, oh, opera, oh, you know, like it's, it was amazing how, you know, you can't judge a book by the cover because people do judge everything by that. So if you, so here's the, here's, here's, here's a, a thing that's totally in conflict. And you, 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 you'll see the logic. Every radio station that was, that it was jazz stations, there was also art, rhythm and blues stations, black, blue, you know, that kind of stations. And then there was pop stations. So we had three different categories. And in the, and the main stations in these categories, you know, they had a format in that, cat in that, in their format, they play certain things. And if you got regular rotation, uh, then you're getting what we call a hit possibly, you know, between all the stations playing at the same time and all that, the momentum of playing the same song, all these games. But the truth of it is that when they played Cisco Kid or Wolves of Ghetto of War, it played, it was number one in the jazz charts. It was number one in the, in the R&B charts. It was number one in the pop charts. All three formats played the same tune. But yet when you, you hear somebody say, man, I love jazz. I hate pop and, uh, and R&B. Man, you should hear this new jazz tune. It's called Worlds of Ghetto. Man, it's amazing. Somebody else can say, I hate fucking jazz and pop. I like R&B. You hear this great tune. It's called World is a Ghetto. Or the pop says, man, like, this is a really hip. The world is a ghetto, man. These guys are really kicking ass, and they crossed over to pop, and it's a big hit. I love pop, man. I can't stand jazz and R&B. This is great shit. You know? So it's, 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 it's all this novelty bullshit you know, that has category, and it's killed the music business because – all these people that were fans in the radio stations that loved Worlds Together or Cisco Kid, how what percentage went into Tower Records and actually got the album? Small percentage. The people that walked in with it says rhythm and blues. That's it, because of color. Well, uh, it's a black band, so they put it there. And then if you walk into the pops department where you heard Cisco Kid, you don't even see the album. You have to ask for it. So the impulse has been taken away. That's a lot of people that didn't buy. So marketing has been a very, it's been tragic the way the music industry is marketing. Now, if you if you took 20% of everybody's monies or some kind of money donated into a society to preserve music as not competing, you know, we're competing, your company, I'm kind of competing products. But if we have some society that for the beauty of music, and they, and they promote music from all over the world. Now we are promoting resources everywhere in the world you can mine that people can be ready to listen to. And you've got more things to play 
that can be pop music and it doesn't doesn't become this little vertical market of of killing everything and there's hardly anything left that they want to call music <laughs> so you can have a record guy playing a serenki too i mean whatever it is it's just it's so it's so it's a bunch of kids running a music industry who doesn't even understand doesn't even know music they just they got that little clicks that's one problem marco and the other problem is that when 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 acquisitions i'm sorry i'm going to talk you want me to talk i'm going to talk the acquisitions I'll, I'll cry later. the acquisitions from from small record labels back in the 50s and 60s and then going into the 70s that became acquisitions because all these small record companies that formed they were very creative to, and they made new laws even new things with the rock and roll and all that because it was just classical music before and when the rock and roll on, I started taking off in these small little labels. I mean, it was like ruthless. A lot of times they would give an advance. Nobody got paid. It was like, and eventually, and they would have their own recording studio. So they had to maintain that. And they would also have to manufacture a package. They were everything. Then the record industry became a little more sophisticated. Say, wait a minute. Why are we maintaining a, rec a recording studio? Let someone else have that headache, you know? So, so distribution, um, marketing and record company, they became different departments. That's acquisitions. When acquisitions started coming in in the late 70s, like like um, Warner Brothers or ELO, you know, Electro Asylum and all that stuff, those acquisitions took attorneys. Now, with attorneys, they got to figure out the mess here and they become the president. That went from somebody who's exploring music now to somebody who's like an attorney now being the president. And then now they got to figure out after they make the acquisitions between three, four companies, what what do they liquidate? What, what monies are they, that's put in that they still got to recover? How much in the red? That becomes a CPA. Now a CPA is the president of a record company. It's because they put people in to try to save their ass rather than to keep growing music. They try to fig, fix things. So it becomes more legal shit again than it becomes the arts and the music. So everything is... Literally, I'm sorry to do it fucked up when it comes to big business because there's a lot of people that have no business that should not even be in it. You know, they just locked out there and, and they hold something, especially it's a music business. If you come to the studio when I'm recording, it's no different than if I worked in a mattress factory. What's the fucking difference? They're both factories, a studio, a mattress. We're not entertaining. We're manufacturing. <laughs> we're producing. We're creating. When it's all done, then we can play the final thing and you can enjoy it. But but the fabric of making anything, whatever it is, it doesn't matter if it's fish, apples, or what. It's products. And there's integrity with it. And there's and in the arts, if it's a product, there's a lot of depth that has been missed. And it's made the industry very shallow because they've just put shit out and, and been very blinded or very shallow to what goes on in the whole world. So the music industry is very... But as an artist, you still need to release stuff. Or, or you have this thing that says, I need to get music out. That's and, right. And you, you have a new album coming out. Tell me about this, the thinking behind that album, especially in this day and age where the music industry is effed up. Well, let's start with David's album. Um, and David's album is um, it's a, a fortunate time where you have the sensationalism of Boris, like middle-class bourgeoisie is uh, in love with the blues. It's become more of a, 
I mean, it's, it's, you know, like look at the house of blues, even, I mean, everything is just, it's a very calculated thing. Um, what's that? There's nothing wrong with that. It just, you got to remember what it is. And that's not necessary. That's a calculated thing. That's not necessarily the same thing as, uh, as just the, the raw organic of any arts. It, so some arts can fit into a certain category that has already been implemented, like the blues, even your show, Marco, the, the blues, you know, we, we can, we can leverage on that. And then you can, you can take many spins from that and have a license to, to make it work within whatever everybody else assumes that genre is and all that. So with David's album, the fact that it's, he's known for the blues and all that, and, and it's all blues. And he took and he composed some songs that I I love, you know, that uh, not just a 12 bar or 8 bar or 16. It's not a straight ahead. Um, but it's blues only because of how it's expressed. And so you can you can take Moon River. You can do anything, even if it's not the same motif. It's how you that's why I love Ray Charles. Ray Charles is blues. Miles Davis is blues. It's not about the, what. It's not about the composition they do. That's why they do it. It's about the attitude, and David's attitude and the way he expresses his words are so amazing, so simple, that it's so simple that somebody can just kind of gloss over it and don't realize how heavy it is. Like a, a clock that ran out of time. <laughs> it's like I mean, he has these amazing things he says. So if you if you don't let it be wallpaper, if you sit and listen to his stuff, and take you on a journey, based on the landscape of the sound and the landscape of his words and lyrics and everything. It's a powerful album. And there's a, and there's a beautiful industry out there that it all fits in uh, for his album because of the blues and these blues stations of hundreds and hundreds, a thousand of them all over, all over the world are because people are in love with that motif, the one, four, five changes. I mean, you can't, it's it's very infectious. It's a great sound between a one chord and a four chord or one chord and a five chord. Those kind of motifs are beautiful. So everybody in the world loves it. And it's very popular. And all those DJs for David's album, you know, they might have an hour show or two hour show once a week. They love the music and they love the fact that they can have a voice in playing what they love doing, playing and what they like and, and feel good that they have a, 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 a a job or a position, you know, as a hobby or whatever, as a, as a DJ. And there's thousands of them. And they've all embraced David's album. And we knew they probably would because that's the genre of music they're in love with. So it ha it was easy to get through that gate. And then once they heard it, you know, there's, that tells the truth. But my album, Never Forget, it's a whole different way to have to approach it. The Never Forget album is is probably not going to be looked at as as, a, as an album like David's. Let's put it on and party and listen. It's more this particular album is more about a statement about humanity that I really hope will be used in soundtracks, movies, um, will be used in all kinds of different things as well as uh, institutions that are for the tolerance and for humanity and all kinds of different activist groups. Um, David's album also can lead into that too because. Uh, some of his songs are very strong um, in, in for activists and also about the world. But but literally Never Forget album is won't have a, a, a very vertical market to also have it broadcast through. So it's going to be a challenging thing, but 
But the challenge speaks for also why I put together um, um, Dreams We Share record label and why it's so important to publishing all that because I live for making good business with that. Uh, to me, the good business with our music and our arts is to try to get distribution and exploit it more than just the record playing and somebody sitting listening to it, but also that it can be used in, like I said, for activists, for uh, all kinds of different institutions, for movies, soundtracks. Uh, all of that is the game that I'm trying to, uh, I'm going to be uh, taking the challenges. And if my dream comes true, then I have actually made publishing back to what publishing business really should be rather than uh, rather than just have publishing because you've got a song yourself, you made a hit, you know, uh, which as an artist doesn't, I mean, most people think you got to write your own songs and you got to this and that. Like, well, I mean, it's like saying I got to make a movie. So I got to write the story and I got to act it. I got to film and everything. That's silly. I mean, great songs are great songs and, and a great singers are great artists. David happened to have three different concessions under one belt. He has, he has publishing as a songwriter. He also has as an entertainer, live performance, and has also a recording artist. They're all different businesses in presenting and, and exploiting your arts to products. So there's a lot of there's a lot of potential. Um, I'm hoping you even one of my my uh, connections right there. Since who you're working with, Marco, I would really want those people to hear and read what I have to say. Well, let's talk about that. Tell me about, tell me the background because it's, it's, this is a very close, this music is very close to you and it's pretty deep. So tell me about where it comes from and how it inspired you. All right. Uh, well, in a nutshell, um, let me just, let me say, let me do this. Cause this, this, um, never forget the, um, uh, liner note, for example. Well, I think you should just read it. What I would want to just say is that the Holocaust, I grew up after the war. I was born after the war. My, uh, you know, it was the tragedies of the war is, uh, is unspeakable. Um, and like this, uh, it, like this uh, was written, the um, liner note even, it's, uh, um, it's it's unbelievable that nobody ever thinks about the effect it does to the children afterwards. I mean, I didn't realize myself how affected I used to. I was so upset in myself at times. Why? I mean, am I? I'm not a bad guy. I mean, well, why did I do that to my parents when I left young? Why did I? Why did I do the things I did? You know, uh, processing and processing things. I realized it's it's really affected me, and and I wanted to make it in the music business. I wanted to be in the I want to be in, in the in the world there as a, my dream to be a musician from very young, and uh, and the atmosphere, the the intensity, just the old energy was was very despairing. Very, it's just pain from from my mom and you know everything, and I think that's uh, why I left. And so Carrie, my first wife, she writes in the liner note. She says I didn't. I left with, I didn't take leave with the pain. I got to read, I got to read it. I got to read it. Sorry. Lee Oscar was born in Copenhagen, Denmark, arrived in Los Angeles, California, Rio, San Francisco, Canada, and New York. In the late 1960s, the birth of Los Angeles scene with harmonica in hand, speaking broken English. Uh, he connected with British blues uh, legend Eric Burton after finishing his 
after finding his foothold uh, in fame with the chart-topping hit Spill the Wine, he subsequently abbreviated, uh, to abbreviate a very long career, went on to a great success with the group War, then eventually recording, the, recording several of solo albums. Ultimately, Lee made his name not only by elevating, um, by elevating um, the status of the humble harmonica as a musician, composer, producer, well as an, but also well as accomplished um, uh, manufacturer and visual artist. Uh, here's what I'm getting to. In the beginning of his career, uh, Lee was uh, Lee was a, a scrappy orphan from the streets. Because he used to tell people I was an orphan. That's, yeah. His, his focus on music left little time to dwell on his past. As it turns out, Lee's parents and brother were living in Toronto near his uncle Abby. His Aunt Judy was raising a family in the United States. Despite having relatives scattered throughout at least three countries, Lee was in, in a very poetic sense an orphan. Sometimes it's necessary to outdistance the past in order to gain the perspective needed to process it. Um, many on Lee's mother's side of the family were killed during the Holocaust. Lee's grandmother was last seen being herded into the gas chamber, leaving her two daughters alone in Stutthof, an extermination camp in Poland. Desperation and courage drove the adolescent girls, Lee's mother Rachel and Aunt Judy, to escape from the freezing death march of January 1945 into the blank canvas of their future. They carried with them only memories encouraged when they dared to dream. Eventually, they made their way to Denmark and where they were taken in by the Jensen's who embraced them as their hearts and soul. To this day, Lee long, lovingly considers the Jensen's his grandparents. To suggest, Marco, this is it here, to suggest the consequences of the atrocities of the Holocaust coincided with the war's end in 1945 is an unfathomable insult. The horrors were imprinted on the psyche of the survivors as indelibly, indelibly as, the, as the numbers tattooed on their forearms. The miracle children of the survivors, as myself, miracle children of the survivors, are the forgotten casualties of the Holocaust. How could they not be affected by its subtle, silent influences filtered through their parents? Ultimately, Lee didn't inherit the pain of his past, but rather the puzzle. Over his lifetime, he has arranged the pieces to create a life not only worth living, but one worth gifting to the future. Lee wishes to stress that his family history is not unfortunately unique. They are now and always have been victims of horrendous atrocities. As long as fear exists, there will be violence. It's up to each of us to do our part to silence the hate, heal, and the hurt. 
and, pro- and promote tolerance. We can build on our commonality as human beings while respecting and celebrating our differences. The last thing, Pablo Picasso famously said, art is a lie that tells the truth. Like each of us, Lee's personal truth cannot possibly be experienced directly. As you listen to the music of passages, never forget, and study the images, you may recognize aspects of Lee's lifelong search for a home similar to your own personal journey. Ultimately, home is to be found in your heart, whether passages is a window or mirror, it's up to you, no matter what, never forget. And that's what it's about. You said before that you were, I mean, it took you a while to come to this point in your life. That there was, I don't know if it was shame or what it was, but can you tell me how you came to that point where you wanted to open up about this and talk about this? Yeah, I, uh, I, 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 as a, as a, as Jewish, I'm very proud of my heritage. I'm very proud of, you know, and there's a lot to I can explain and teach what I learned about and what I'm very proud of. So I'm proud. Is I don't break. Uh, you know, I find people in America are very entitled, feel entitlements, um, and uh, they're almost in a cocoon and really don't have a sense of the same urgency that I had brought up with, that you have to be very careful at all times. Politeness is a tool, you know. It's not a, a tool that we need to use among people and family. Of course, we have to be kind to each other, but politeness is not about kindness. People confuse things. Kindness is kindness. Politeness is, a, is, an, is, a, is an etiquette or a, 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 a protocol in how you address others because you never know, like there's three things you never discuss, how much money you make, your religion, and uh, politics, and you and you you struggle every day in surviving in the world, and you have to be polite so you don't make anybody feel you're stepping on their toes. Um, it's crucial, but you know all that stuff um, to protect yourself from not being hurt or your family and uh, being a victim or worrying about the anti-Semitic uh, in deep different ways. Um, when I first came at Jerry Goldstein and Steve Gold, um, I didn't, it didn't, it wasn't enough that it just sounded like it was Jewish names. I was very careful. I would say in Yiddish, are you a landsman? I would talk. And if they, they didn't know Yiddish, so they would say, they don't understand. I would still then be cautious. I would find certain things that would tell me, where are your grandparents from? So I would, so I could dictate if they, if if I feel that they are Jewish or not, background, and if I once I know that, then I can tell them things I have in common. And I would tell sometimes people in America, be careful, because everybody's in a closet. The shit is still here. What What was that moment where you thought, I can open up about this? I'm comfortable with this. Yeah, when when um, when I was doing this album, started with my road. Uh, in 1981, but it wasn't liberating myself yet. It was liberating these thoughts and wanted to have that to the world, regardless of knowing whether I'm Jewish or not. It's really more important about humanity. 
and my my road is about my road, you know, growing up from after the war, without getting personal about different things. But at some point, I'm saying to myself, I'm now I'm going to 72, I'm going to be 73, and I'm coming out with this album, Never Forget. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to emphasize it's about being Jewish, because that would be, that would feed all the anti-Semitic, and at the same time would miss the point that this is not about glorifying a, a sensationalism about something in my life. Not at all. Quite the opposite. My mother's past. When my mother heard my solo album, when we fired, when I connected after being gone for all these years, and we connected, and she heard my first solo album before it was released, she said to me, "Do you, like she said, these melodies you're playing reminds me of like old Yiddish melodies I used to sing as a child. Do you think people would like it?" And I said, "I said, if it was beautiful then, it's beautiful now, you know." And it's not that my melodies were melodies that she sang, it was, but it rhymes of it. It's very, very harmonic minor. And that all of a sudden she starts singing about me and me coming back. She, we never spoke about it, but she sang about it. And my father recorded it on the tape. I have that somewhere. So it was a struggle just within me and my family. And it was a struggle to... She be called as oh, you bullshit alive, you know, about this, you know. And I and I'm saying to myself, you know, people that know me, they know I'm a good guy, they know that uh my honesty, they know they they know what I'm what I stand for. And and it's and it's time for me to to make that statement before I'm dead and gone. And also legally I had issues also, uh, because of immigration and all that stuff. Everything, so I had to stick with the story, and that's what I did. And so, so the, the bottom line is, you see this image right here, even? the album cover. Yeah, that's the cover. Yeah, and you can see the other way. See, oh, so my paintings, everything is all for this thing is passages through music, never forget. And it's the it's the first one of series. The last composition on here, not the last composition here, but um, I shouldn't say that. It was originally. The order of this album is, let me give you the titles because they'll, they'll tell you. Faraway Dreams starts with that. Then Miracle Children, Faraway Dreams. That's my, see, my aunt and my mom, they'll celebrate like they're standing in a field at an old age, like deliberated, reflecting back in how they, got, how they survived and now they have children and grandchildren. It's, but for me, when I left it young and going for my mission, it was a faraway dreams. It's dreams. So I start with that. Here's, I'm going hold on, check this out. Hold on to your dreams for dear life. Keep them alive and follow them wherever they may take you. Carrie wrote this. And I put that in. I love this. Imagine your dreams are a kite. Then hold on to the string with all your might. So you imagine the dream. I just want you to Davis right the, the dream, all those dreams is a kite, and you're holding on the on the string with all your might, and then be open to follow whichever way the wind may blow. And then I wrote, no matter how far away your dreams may seem, follow them and never give up on them or yourself. 
and then there's children, miracle children, and there's children, you know, there's, so there's a lot of things when you read through the stuff and listen to the music at the same time, Marco, not separately, but at the same time, if you can follow that journey, I promise you, um, I will, I will have, I will accept whatever you're going to tell me. If you can tell me it sucks, I will, I will respect you. If you tell me it moved you and it really brought some things to think about, I will respect it. If you say, I'd love to share this with the people I'm working because of the Holocaust, or I have an idea where it can be even, where it can even make some sense for others, I'm open for anything. I, I'm here just to tell my story. Um, I'm not on a, I don't want to be on a pedestal. But I want to be acknowledged for, for my arts before I'm dead and gone. I, I, I feel I'm barely acknowledged, um, but we do that as artists. David feels that every moment since this epidemic. I mean, he's fucking, he can't even go out and play. And that's his, that's his wiring is to go out and play. Um, so it's tough times for everybody. We all handle it differently. But, Sorry, but at, do, you, do you yeah. really think that you're not acknowledged? I mean, I, I, th I think of you as a very respected musician, somebody who's had this successful business with your harmonica, and harmonica players all respect you a great deal. But do you feel like you, you're not? No, I don't feel I'm acknowledged. And I'll tell you why. Because the stuff I'm acknowledged are things way back. If you acknowledgement is, is acknowledgement to me is real time. Acknowledgement uh, is real time. That's why I say, well, after I'm dead and gone, acknowledged, it's not, it's not acknowledgement the same. Or if it's acknowledgement from the past because it was a hit record, so they talk acknowledge like low rise Cisco. Oh yeah, it's my favorite song. But but there's something to that though, is there not? Like I'm mean, I'm just thinking, I, I understand that it was a hit back then. But to some people, that song means a lot to them, no, and it's still. I'm not, I'm not dishing it at all. Quite the opposite. I respect everybody, um, so I didn't mean to come across as that. And frankly, um, I know that any art can can be can impact just a, a particular image or a sound or a piece of music or a song. Something can any you know every individual gets impacted by something through the art, and it and they hold it dearly. And it saved lives. I mean, I've I've gotten letters that it's like it'll make me want to cry. Like, what she wanted to commit suicide with her and her and her, um, her children, and uh, decided to uh, that it's a better day because she heard that I was coming to Japan, and I'm doing this thing with the children in the school. She kept it anonymous. We never found out who she was, but. There's been many things, you know. I mean, I've I've had a life where I know it's very powerful and very um, it's bigger than life. I mean, sometimes you put it on a pedestal like you like as if you intentionally did all this. I'm not I'm not that you know what people put on it's 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 another person that eats and shits and do the same things. We all express, and but if I express something that in a certain way that that somebody else just clicks, you know, triggers something that's very profound to them, that's to be respected. That's very powerful because after all, what if the arts, if, what else is the art supposed to be doing anyhow? It's supposed to express things. And if somebody gets something out of that expression, that's very powerful. Um, I'm going to have to wrap this up, but I wanted to ask you one question. You know, you, you decide that one day that you, you're going to create these harmonicas with your name. Um, and that was 40 years ago or whatever? Like, it's been a while. It's been a while. It was official in 83, but a few years, of course, preparing, yeah. 
So I, I wonder, because I know you've been asked about your harmonica company many different questions, but I wonder that journey that you took um, to create your harmonica business, how has that made you a different musician? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, a funny, a funny spin on that is, as one answer is that all the trade secrets, you know, that an artist may have on his belt, you know, and sometimes those things were very protected because sometimes if somebody else will do what the other artist does, copy that and then something, it's diluted maybe the value or the impact of the original person, you know. Um, but because I, because I also, not just a musician and harmonica and composer and all that, but I manufacture. I, um, I, I, I want to promote the harmonica, so I got to promote everybody. Right. And I'm not confusing that with the David Rotondo because David Rotondo is a whole other thing. Like some people that I take on, I wouldn't. I, I'm talking about all the people I wouldn't even produce. I mean, I wouldn't be, but. My attitude as a, as a harmonica company versus other companies are that I'm not promoting virtuoso. Fuck it. When I promote virtuoso, I'll promote myself. Fuck it. <laughs> I mean, so if I'm going to use hype to hype anything, I want to hype the beauty and the fun what harmonica is for the musically hopeless. I want to hype the fact that it's such a beautiful instrument to compose hook lines and melodies with. Because it's so easy to come up with something, make something up and say, oh, that's a cool little riff. And then you can hum that and that can be part of your motif of the song. There's so many beautiful things about harmonica. It's set up in different keys. It's set up in different uh, tunings, modes, you know, whether it's minor or major. So it's like Legos in ways you can take these different harmonicas, every one of them different, and you can A and B, different modes and keys and tunings. So it's very creative as a tool for me, musically speaking. But for most people who play harmonica, usually ask harmonicas, we get excited because they love the harmonica and play. And what more happiness should we share? Should I should I think that it's more fun that I'm going to show off somebody who's a virtuoso and everybody else don't get to be seen and you don't show smiles and happiness? The fuck? I'd rather show a little kid and a grandfather got the same harmonica. They got the same pack. They're both playing a key of C, not giving it to the grandkid. Say, wow, he's a genius. Listen to him. Pick up harmonica. Grandpa, take harmonica. Elias a key of C. The same key given one to your grand, and now you can hunk on harmonica together, and you can sound like you make music together. That would be happy and fun. I promote that before a virtuoso. <laughs> Lee, you make so much logical sense. <laughs> I'm in fucking awe. <laughs> Lee, I love it. Thank you so much for doing this, David. Thank you so much for making this happen. Oh, no, thank you, Marco. Really appreciate it. It means so much to me. Thank you very much, Marco and Lee, for letting me sit in on this. Honestly, thank you very much, Marco Funisaka and Talking Blues, and Lee Oscar and Lee Oscar Harmonicas and Dreams We Share Productions. Hey, Marco, you are you are a journalist in my mind, okay? So, um, you know, once again, that's that's, uh, that's the best thing I can say. I've, I've seen your works, and uh, and thank you for having me on. Thank you.